There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Luke's English podcast is made possible thanks to kind donations from listeners. And if you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can do so by clicking one of the yellow PayPal buttons on my website. Also, the podcast is supported by the premium subscription and premium subscribers can access a growing library of language lessons from me to you that focus on the sort of natural English that comes up in conversations with guests on my podcast. I mine those conversations for target language and then I present that language to you with explanations, plenty of examples, and I kind of broaden things out by looking at synonyms and collocations and plenty of other things. Also, there's pronunciation work in those episodes where I present you with sentences that contain the target language and you have to repeat after me. So the whole package, vocabulary, grammar, pronunciation, all of it, PDFs are available for you to download as well. To get all that content, you need to become a premium subscriber. And if you'd like to do that and find out more information, just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. I hope you're doing well today and that you are ready for this new episode of my podcast. You join me here in my pod room as the rain falls down on the roof above my head. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. Can you hear the sounds of the rain? There it is. It is pouring with rain here as I record this. Um, so, um, yes, uh, the conditions are perfect for learning British English. So let's get started. So this is a continuation of this short series of episodes I'm doing about the Beatles, and this one focuses mostly on John Lennon. If you've ever wanted to know more about this iconic British musician, then this episode is for you. Also, if you're already a Beatles fan or a John Lennon fan, then I'm sure that you'll be glad to hear this conversation too. My guest for this episode is Anthony Rotuno from England, and Anthony is very knowledgeable about John Lennon and his life. In fact, I feel like I couldn't have have found a better person to talk to about this subject. One of the reasons for that is that Anthony is also an English teacher. He's been teaching English as a foreign language to adults for over 18 years. And for obvious reasons, it's always useful to have a guest on this podcast who has experience of working with learners of English. Anthony is also a podcaster, so he is used to talking to audiences over the internet from his home in England. Anthony's podcast is all about John Lennon, and he probably knows all there is to know about John Lennon because he's read everything out there on the subject. And for his podcast, he has actually interviewed lots of people connected to Lennon, including authors and people who actually knew John himself, people with first-hand accounts of meeting him. So Anthony really knows a lot about John Lennon. 
and we had a really good, really long conversation for this podcast covering various things like John Lennon's life story. Uh, this is the first part of that conversation. So let me just explain my reasons for doing this series of episodes about the Beatles. I probably don't need to explain this, but allow me to give my reasons. So this is a five-part series, actually. Uh, I published the first part with my mum in episode 717, which was a review of a book about the Beatles, followed by a general Beatles ramble. And the rest of the series will be this conversation I had with Anthony, divided into four parts. But it's not just going to be us rambling on about John Lennon for all that time. I've also decided to employ some of Anthony's English teaching skills in order to cover some language too, specifically in parts three, four and five of this series as we focus on descriptive adjectives for describing personality traits, and then some analysis of the lyrics from Beatles songs with various nice phrases and idioms to learn. So there should be plenty of English learning opportunities to take from this whole series. John Lennon is a hugely significant person in terms of modern history, and of course, being English, he is very much part of our culture. And as we move forwards in time, it seems that the significance of the Beatles and everyone's interest in them is not waning. If anything, they continue to grow in stature. And even if you're not into the Beatles, hopefully this can be a chance to learn some new things about this band that is held in such high esteem by so many people. And I promise you, okay, I'm willing to say that I promise you here that if you listen to this, you will know more about John Lennon at the end than you did before you listened to it. Okay, I promise that you will learn some new things about John Lennon. And if you're wondering when we're going to get to the music as well, part five will be all about Beatles lyrics and there will be some guitar playing in there as well. So we will be getting to the music and lyrics um, eventually. First of all, though, in this episode, we will get to know Anthony a little bit and ask him about his podcasts. And then you'll hear him talk about how he got into the Beatles and John Lennon in particular. And then Anthony is going to give us a brief overview of John's life and career. And finally, I'm going to ask Anthony Anthony, a few John Lennon discussion questions at the end. Okay, so I'll talk to you again uh, on the other side of this conversation. But for now, let's get started. Let's meet Anthony and let's talk about John Lennon and stuff. And here we go. Anthony, hello. Welcome to my podcast. Welcome onto my podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, Luke. How are you doing? I'm fine. It's nice to talk to you uh, finally after having sort of exchanged lots of emails with you and after mm. having listened to a few episodes of uh, one of your podcasts. Mm. Nice yep. to talk to you. Yeah, you too. By the way, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not officially working, but you know, if, I come, if I think of any good idioms while we're talking, don't worry, I'll, uh, I'll introduce them into the conversation. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Very good. Because you are an English teacher as well as being a podcaster and and a, and a Beatles fan and John Lennon fan and all those sorts of things. You are an English teacher. So mm. let's see. Well, let, let me ask you a few questions just to kind of get to know you a bit before we dig into the subjects of the Beatles and John Lennon and, and things like that. So, um, Anthony, so where are you? Well, where are you right now, in fact? I'm just outside London, uh, Tunbridge in Kent. Okay. Um, but I originally grew up in a place called Egham. Have you ever heard of Egham? Just off the M25? Yeah, I used to have, a, I've done a few other guest appearances and I, I sent them like a profile thing. And the joke was that Egham is a town that's so small that some of the people who live there have never heard of it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's near Runnymede, which is slightly famous, but uh, 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've been teaching for 18 years. So I got my diploma in 2003 from International House in London. Okay. Yeah. All right, great. <laughs> teaching for 18 years. And um, so have you lived in different places? Have you moved around? Because that's what we do, isn't it, English teachers? We often will go off and live somewhere else. Yeah, we have this wonderful uh, license to do that, yes. Um, I lived in the Far East, mostly Thailand, but I did live in Laos briefly as well. And then uh, Italy in Bologna, which is sort of northern Italy, and then uh, Madrid in Spain. Until a couple of years ago, and now I'm teaching online, and now I can't even imagine leaving the house to teach. Uh, we were talking off there about podcasts, and I think podcasts saved me when I was in Madrid because I did so much travelling on public transport. But the idea that you can spend the whole day like learning, you know, listening to Luke's podcast as well as other ones, that the fact you can just spend the whole day just learning while you're traveling between classes, I mean, what could be better? It's amazing, but, isn't it? Uh, I do quite like uh, being able to teach in my living room. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah, it is quite nice not to have to get on public transport to get mm. to wherever it is you're teaching. Yeah, that is a, that is a convenient thing. Yes. Um, okay. And... Um, so I was going to say, so as English teachers, obviously, we are there to help people learn English. But what have you learned from being an English teacher? Ah, that's a great question. Um, well, I found myself a niche in the last sort of five or six years as an, as an advanced teacher. So when I was in Spain, I specialised in uh, preparing students for the Cambridge exams, the FCE and the, what used to be called the CE not CIA, CAE, you know, advanced, CIA. Cambridge Advanced, yeah. <laughs> and, um, CAE, yeah. CAE, yeah, I think they just yeah. call it the Cambridge Advanced now, but anyway, okay. yeah, so, someone's obviously employed. I did find out somebody's actually employed to slightly tweak the exam, including the name every few years to make it seem like, you know, progress anyway. And so that they can then sell lots of new textbooks and things. Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, what have I learned? Well, I mean, I am a, I have always loved language. Um, so this might sound strange for a native speaker to say that their English is improving, but I'm sure you'd agree that when you teach advanced students, some of the advanced students, because they're studying full time and you're not, there may be a case, hopefully not too often, where, you know, they may know something that you don't, or which, which is, I think is a positive thing. So, I mean, it's improved my English. I'm a bit of a grammar geek. I, I just love language. So I learn a lot and also I get to, because my students are generally advanced, they can all hold a conversation very well. I do kind of get to introduce things that I want to talk about as well, you know, only mm. because mostly I, with most of them, you probably find this, you say to them, what would you like to study? And they'll just say, oh, you know, whatever you, whatever you want, you know, I don't know if you find that, but yeah, there's very few students will actually want to kind of design their own curriculum, which is fine, you know. Um, so I use a lot of TED talks. So, I get to learn loads about the world, you know, because I'm very, very curious for, for knowledge. You know, I'm mean, basically a, a knowledge addict, I suppose. So I, I've learned loads. And obviously, you know, with the teaching, you you hone your craft, just like podcasting. So, um, yeah, I, I think the fact that I, I still want to learn, like I haven't got to the point where I've I've got sort of jaded. I mean, obviously now and again, you, you know, when you have to repeat things, repeat the same lessons too much, it can get a bit... Um, can get a bit much but i think uh i'm still trying to learn and still trying to feel like i want to get to the point where someone can just ask me any grammar question and i can just like fire off the answer you know and it's not easy but 
So, mm. yeah, I learned a lot about myself and, uh, and about English, basically, and about, I suppose, psychology, because I, I did study psychology at college. So, you know, I'm very interested in sort of class dynamics and because I've played in bands as well, band dynamics. I think dynamics between people are absolutely fascinating. So yeah. that's kept my interest going, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what, was that psychology at university, was yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, degree in psychology. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, yeah you're a musician too. Yeah, I've had, a, I've had quite weird trajectories, yes. <laughs> so I did... I mean, these were the days, like the 90s was the days when you could do a degree just because you liked the subject. It didn't, it, you weren't necessarily looking for it to lead to a job. Like I never thought of becoming a psychologist. I just liked psychology and I wanted to get a degree. And then after that, I did accountancy for a while, which, uh, yeah. Is a <laughs> accountancy? Try and work that one out. How do I get from psychology to accountancy? Who knows? But uh, I, I guess I, I was quite good at with numbers and, and, and stuff like that. And then I... I've never really made any money from music, um, but I've always played it. And then I became a teacher at about 2003, and now I got to, to live in all these lovely places. And now I'm settled back in England, relatively settled. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. really like, I don't really want to move around, but I suppose sometimes you, if you have like an inner nomad, sometimes you find yourself doing that. But I would like to stay in England now because I'm in my 40s and... Uh, I don't quite have the sort of wanderlust that I used to have, you know. <laughs> Very nice little Paul McCartney reference there. Oh, yes, yes. Good song. Unwitting, unwittingly, yeah, great song. <laughs> um, and of, of course, now with podcasting and stuff, uh, mm. and as you said, teaching on Zoom, yeah, you, you, there's actually no need to travel around that much. Not that we mm. can at this stage. But yeah, no. podcasting. So you also, as well as listening to podcasts and stuff over the years, you do your own podcasts, um, three of them, no less, no less than three. Only three, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the three podcasts that you do. Okay, well, chronologically, so the one that's I guess, is pertinent to today's conversation is Glass Onion on John Lennon. Glass Onion is the name of a Beatles song from the White Album, primarily written by John Lennon. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, I used to when I was listening, I mean, I still listen to podcasts, but when I was only a podcast listener, I would go to a, I would go to iTunes every now and again and plug in John Lennon and think, there must be someone who's done a podcast about John Lennon. Like, how can someone not have done that? Because there was loads of Beatles ones even then, and obviously there's even more now. Um, there's a couple of Paul McCartney ones. Obviously, Paul McCartney's current, you know, still bringing out music. I thought, yeah, someone's got to step into that. And, and I have always been... I suppose a Lennon guy. That's kind of changing a little bit because my, um, as I said on a recent guest appearance I did, I'm getting to the point where my opinion of John Lennon is, is going slightly down. Like, it's just the fact that the, the more you learn about him, that he he did have quite a nasty side, and you also learn that perhaps Paul McCartney contributed more to his songs than he did to Paul's songs, just stuff like that. But anyway, there was basically a gap, and I I used the psychology knowledge. You know, it's not really one of those podcasts that's sort of straight reviews of albums or done a few reviews. It's more like, for example, we pick a year. So John Lennon in 1966. But we get to also talk about the news events of the year. So I think the way I've managed to broaden it out to, I mean, I've done over 70 episodes and some of them are an hour and a half to two hours. So it's quite quite a lot of content is just to broaden it out. And so take take something about John Lennon and then branch it out. 
and then look, looking at psychology and uh, I don't know if you've been listening recently but I've kind of I've become uh, my my gimmick which wasn't something I planned has become this sort of have you heard about this Coleman and Goldman thing that I've been doing have I have heard, heard about this Coleman and Goldman the, the two authors yeah mm. yeah they both wrote books of, on him in the 80s and one was probably a bit too nice and it was a it was that kind of thing you often find that sort of mainstream friendly where everything's sort of tied up in a nice little bow obviously apart from the murder that's not i don't mean it in that way but his life up to then is it's all tied up quite quite neatly and then goldman was this this book which absolutely outraged the the lennon community which but the thing is over the last year i've managed to talk to quite a few people including a lady who was actually sean lennon's playmate and she Mm. kept she's always apologizing me to me for for not being older because she was only four or five so she says oh my memories are just so hazy but uh what we're finding perhaps more and more is that the perhaps the goldman version was more accurate than we thought and that you know maybe he wasn't um quite what you know his devotees would like to think and just one more thing on that interestingly there's been a book by peter doggett um have you ever read you never give me your money the the beatles book no no, I haven't. That would be a huge recommendation about the solo careers, yeah. He's a really good author, and he was just about to publish a book called Prisoner of Love, John Lennon Inside the Dakota, and it's just been cancelled. Oh, really? Why? Um, well, that's the thing. Yoko? That's the thing, yeah, maybe, because Yoko, I don't know if you know this, but she actually sued Fred Seaman again. I heard you say that. Uh, oh, we're getting deep into things already. I know, sorry. Like, yes, uh, no yes. one knows who Fred Seaman is. Sorry, Actually, yes, but yes, before yes. we get into... This is fascinating, Anthony, and, and mm. I don't mean to interrupt you, but... No, uh, no problem. Um, we were, we're going to get into the, um, into the details and describing John and, and, and also looking at some language that we could use to describe John Lennon and his life. Yeah. And probably showing perhaps the well-known version and the slightly less known version about you know what was really going on in his life in different times yeah um, should, I, before, should i talk about the other should i talk about the other podcast yeah tell us quickly yeah. about the other two podcasts and then we need to do a little bit of an overview of john lennon's life just to bring everyone up to speed <laughs> yeah that's yeah. going to be easy isn't it yeah yeah just a quick overview um anyway yeah so glass landing on john lennon's more of a sort of psychology look at his life and then uh, I just started two other ones quite recently. So in December was Film Gold, which is mm-hmm. um, a film program. And I noticed in your back episodes, you, you had an interview with Rob Ager, who I've actually become a friend of, because uh, I have a connection with Liverpool for obvious reasons. And I went to meet him as a fan, and we kind of became friends, and I'm hoping to get him on the show uh, at some Great. point. Because yeah. I love I love Rob His film analysis is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he will analyze things in great detail. It's very it's really interesting to listen to him. Plus, I love his his Scouse accent. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a soft Scouse. It's not such a gu- it's not a guttural Scouse. It's, it's a, not a Stevie Gerrard yeah. kind of thing. No, no, no. Anyway, that's film gold. So I've just started that. I think I've done about six episodes. And then the third one is Life and Life Only. And uh, the joke with that is that it's a podcast about life, so I'm never going to run out of material. Because, you know, John Lennon, as much as I enjoy talking about him, you know, about 150 hours on one person, there there must be a point where I'm going to run out. Film, I'm obviously not going to run out. But, yeah, Life and Life Only is a search for inner and outer truth. So the inner truth side would be uh, sort of life coaching, self-development, 
meditation, things like that, and um, sort of personal psychology or positive psychology. And then the outer truth part is sort of is alternative media, because I, I've been involved. Um, I'll, I'll just be very brief. Um, about 10 or 15 years ago, I got involved in um, what used to be called the truth movement, but they kind of dropped that moniker because truth is a bit sort of saying, oh, I've got the truth doesn't really work well with people. So we call it alternative media. And I've appeared on a few podcasts. And it's the basic premise of it is that nowadays, I don't know if you agree with this, but pretty much everything that's not on the news that might seem important is dismissed as a conspiracy theory, you know? And yes, conspiracy theories, you know, I've never investigated the moon landings. You know, I don't go into like the silly ones like Elvis or, or Bigfoot or anything like that. But what I've noticed, what I noticed a long time ago is that there's a massive strand of history that we just never told about. You know, you never see it on the news. You never see it in your history classes. So, but it's still using psychology because it, the way I'm tr- sort of trying to tie the two strands together is that the inner part is about, you know, kind of developing your armor almost, you know, um, uh, your self-development. And then the outer part is how you then look at information. So this is where the kind of perhaps the angrier side of my personality, I'm generally a pretty calm person, but um, the way that people consume mainstream media and continuously react in the last four years, all you really see is people reacting to Trump. And I'm not saying that what Trump, did wasn't significant but there's always there's always a kind of uh the the men behind the curtain so to speak there's always people pulling the strings you know like the war machine for example and it doesn't really matter whether it's obama or trump or bush the people behind the scenes are are kind of carry on there's a sort of continuum of you know the war machine and american foreign policy for example that carries on regardless so that's in a nutshell so it's sort of inner and outer truth let's call it that's sort of like the idea that um, uh, the the information that we get from our primary sort of news sources um, that you get on the telly and stuff like that, it forms a kind of baseline of this is what's going on in the world, and people yeah. just react and uh, to to that baseline. But you you, yeah. you seem to be talking about the idea that you know there could be other things going on. And that there are other versions of of you know history and of news and things like that, and it's about sort of keeping an open mind and being prepared to kind of think critically about every single thing that that you know you read and see and and things like that, while also main, you know developing your your yourself too. It's very interesting. Yeah, because uh, I mean, uh, really, really, my argument. I mean, I could give any, anyone who wanted to have a discussion about this. I could give you plenty of evidence of things which are provable because in fact you know i don't want to get too heavy but you know the english government american government they do actually publish most of their history it's just you never see it on the news so now we've got the internet and yes you know people will say oh the internet is full of you know rubbish or unfounded theories and yes there are but there's also plenty of stuff that's on the official record and you know as i said my rather than rather than me kind of consuming the news i mean i I have a look at like the facts of what's happened but i just i just don't really read mainstream opinions and almost to prove that there's alternative is that the term mainstream media didn't actually exist about 15 20 years ago it's only it's only called mainstream media because there's now an alternative it before it used to be called the media yeah so that that's a bit of progress let's call it but 
Yeah, I mean, there's just loads and loads of history and there are lots of things happening around the world. And the idea that a news agency could, of all the things that are happening 24 hours a day around the world, the idea that they could pick a few and say, this is all you need to know. Yeah. You know, it's kind of laughable if you think about it. But uh, Especially the idea that, you know, just a 30-minute news programme and they've got to just pick out... Yeah, just the whole paradigm. The whole paradigm is, in in a sense, sort of limiting in that if you just restrict 30 minutes to news and then there's the whole also the style in which the information is presented to you oh, with yes. you know dun 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 this is the news and yeah. um you know that that thing that was so cleverly parodied by Chris Morris in um the day to day and brass eye oh, yeah, um yeah. and and yeah okay well anyway listeners if you'd like to hear more of this kind of thing then you could <laughs> yeah. listen to anthony's uh, podcast called life and life only and if you want more of the film analysis and stuff then you could listen to film gold in fact you talked about uh, groundhog day recently which i also talked about with my mum i know i did listen to that because when i when i'm about to do a film um podcast I, I obviously watch documentaries if i've got the dvd i lap up all the extras and stuff and then i look for podcasts so i did listen to you and your your good mother talking about that and very interesting yeah really good okay so should we get into the beatles and john lennon then let's do it all right then everyone are you ready here we go all right so first of all well i'm going to start with a sort of standard question which was like what was your introduction to the beatles how did you first get into the Beatles? And then, you know, why John Lennon in particular? Okay, well, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you're from England as well. So the Beatles are everywhere. You know, you can't, you can't possibly avoid them when you're growing up. Um, so I kind of knew, as I was a kid, I was sure I knew, you know, Yellow Submarine or Obladia Oblada. But uh, it was about, it was when I was about 13 or 14. I have a sister, Marina. Uh, she's been mentioned a lot because I've told this story a few times. So, <laughs> hmm. um, she was a big music fan. She was far more advanced than I was. And this is like the mid 80s, mid to late 80s. I was listening to stuff like, um, I don't know, Duran Duran, who, you know, I still think are a right band, uh, U2. But she was more like the Smiths and sort of slightly less commercial. Anyway, one day, one day she appeared with this um, vinyl record called uh, Beatles, a collection of Beatles oldies and goldies. Yeah. We had the same one. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, it's it's got the psychedelic cover of a kind of Carnaby Street kind of mm. guy in flashy clothes, uh, sort of on the front. Yeah, yeah. We had the same That's one. That's the one. Yeah, and then the Beatles in Japan on, on the back. Right. Yeah, and to cut a long story short, like the 80s singles, they, they all tended to be sort of four minutes. And if you listen back to a lot of those singles, they, they always seem to sort of fade out for about a minute. They always seem to go a bit longer than they need to be. So anyway, I, my sister said, uh, oh, have a listen to this. And I was like, oh, it's the Beatles. Yeah, it's a bit old. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we started listening to it. And like, I remember the first two songs is She Loves You and then From Me To You. And they actually had the, the running times on, on it. And like, She Loves You is like two minutes, five seconds. For Me To You is one minute, 58. And it was like, wow. And the songs just kind of leapt off the speakers because I've been conditioned to this sort of 80s, Everything's a bit drawn out. Everything's a bit kind of uh, new romantic, you know, Spandau Ballet and all that. And now suddenly you've got this thing where one of the things about Beatles music, they never waste a single second. There's always something interesting going on. So I listened to this record and then um, on the same record, suddenly two years later from She Loves You, you've got Yesterday. And then a year after that, you've got Eleanor Rigby. 
And weirdly enough, the last two songs on that record is Eleanor Rigby, followed by One I Hold Your Hand. And if you listen to those two together, you're thinking, how can this be the same band? And that's three years apart. And then with John Lennon, uh, Marina again, um, she bought me the, the Ray Coleman book that we were talking about earlier, the nice biography. And I was just absolutely captivated. And in fact, it was the only time I ever, I was a good boy at school, the only time I ever bunked off school. There's a good phrase, listeners, to bunk off school. Yeah, bunk off, sag off school. There's a bit of an old-fashioned one. But, uh, yeah. when, you, when you just don't go to school one day. Yeah, it wasn't that I didn't go. To, it wasn't that I didn't go to school. I used to go home for lunch. I didn't. I didn't. I just forgot to come back to school. Cause then was... <laughs> <laughs> but normally, when kids bunk off school, it means they they sort of lie to their parents or something, or they pretend to go, and then they actually end up drifting off with a friend or something, and go into town or go and do get up to get up to mischief and things like that, do naughty things. Uh, but it, you, yeah. you, you went home for lunch and you stayed at home because you got stuck into this book. Oh my God. Yeah. And I just, was just absolutely captivated. And perhaps one of the things we'll get to later is how John Lennon's image was somewhat manufactured after he died, which un- it sounds very cynical, but unfortunately that does happen. You know, a sort of image of someone is construct constructed and the public feel different about someone after they've, after they've died, because you're never going to see them again, you know? So I think a part, part, a little bit of it was the image, but I think he's, you know, I was still a, he's still a fascinating character. So I kind of went from there, really, and I kind of became a Beatles fan and a sort of a John Lennon solo fan almost simultaneously. And then I had the most wonderful, you know, I ditched all my 80s. Like, it was like, oh, I didn't listen to that anymore. Um, sort of picked up current music more in the 90s. So there was a period from about late 80s to the early 90s I just had this amazing thing where I've just got all these Beatles and John Lennon records and it was almost a bit like someone in the 60s consuming them. But the difference is I didn't have to wait for them to come out. Like, they were already there. So all I had to do was go to the library and it was cassettes in those days, which is it's nice to think that you had to wait for songs, that you had to wind forward and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I just had this just this amazing two or three years and I learned to play the guitar at the same time. And the thing is that it's never stopped. That's the thing it, at the point where I knew all their records, suddenly you got, you know, you had live at the BBC, anthology, isolated tracks, books, podcasts. It's the phrase I always use. It's the gift that keeps giving, which is a good phrase, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure I've used that too when talking about <laughs> being a Beatles fan. It is the gift that keeps on giving. It's Even though, it, you know, they were only recording for seven or eight years. Seven years. Yeah. Uh, seven years. And... um you know, it's a li- definitely a limited amount of stuff, but for some reason, I do keep going back to it. It just keeps bringing more things to me. I mean, I, I'm we're talking about the Beatles now, and I'm well aware that a lot of people listening to this um, will not really be fans in the way that we are. And also, some people will just have one sort of image of the Beatles. Like, I've got some friends who just aren't really into them, in fact, find them sort of annoying. And it seems to be one certain, one particular image, like the kind of black and white era fab four um stuff where they were quite manufactured in those days to an extent in the sense that they'd been put in suits and they were doing a lot of publicity and the kind of commercial side of things but there is when you scrape below the surface of that sort of image and even do things like watch them in press conferences or watch them in interviews on television what's what always strikes me is that they are so kind of timeless or so modern. It's like four people from today sort of stuck in the past. 
in a way. And that's so that's one of the fun things about watching them in interviews and in in press conferences is that the world around them seems so old fashioned and so dated and so of its time. But then these four guys just seem like normal people, just like they would be today. In fact, you know, it feels like they are just totally modern and sort of out of time in a strange way. They were so natural and charismatic and charming. Um, and yeah, it's it's endlessly interesting and 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 enjoyable. It's positive. It makes me feel good. Yeah, that's um, the other thing. All that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's a very good thing you picked up on there. Yeah, I I always think of it as it's like they were in on a joke that nobody else understood. Yeah. But in a funny way, they almost were because they came from Liverpool, and in those days, the accents were much broader. Because now, now we sort of moved to cities, you don't really get those old. Yeah, if you listen, if you watch like old episodes of uh, Coronation Street, I don't know if you're, any of your listeners, I'm sure, there's some English listeners have heard of that. That's Manchester, obviously, but the accents you hear in Coronation Street are not the same now because they were so broad in those days. And in fact, you know, I, I think. Maybe like people in London, obviously there was a, a snobbishness about, there's always been a snobbishness about the North and the South in England. In a funny way, they probably didn't really understand their accents. And the Beatles had so many in-jokes because they'd spent so much time together in Hamburg that they almost had like a secret language. So you're absolutely right. It was almost like the rest of the world was this thing that they were almost tolerating, but they were sending it, sending it up continuously. In subtle ways. Yeah, they're constantly making fun because the four mm. of them were so close and so tight, so tightly knit as a group. This happens with bands that spend all yeah. their time together. When they're playing music, they listen extremely closely to each other. They work as a unit and they were called, I don't know who called them this. Was it Mick Jagger? The four-headed beast? Four-headed monster. Four-headed yeah. monster, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were a bit like that. One th- organism with four heads and so yeah. they all they could they all knew what each other was thinking they would set up jokes and then knock them down they would finish each other's sentences they would Absolutely. like john would go off on some funny thing and the others were able to keep up with him and so they are, they they were incredibly strong in that sense and mm. so yeah they they had that kind of secret language thing and we were all part of it you know if you could just tune into it then you mm. can kind of become part of it so that's again one of the nice things about watching all that Beatles stuff is that I always feel like I'm sort of spending time with some friends that's it yeah so let's let's talk about John Lennon then so we've talked about why um you were fascinated by him because you read that Coleman book and I mean Lennon is a fascinating character and Mm -hmm. to me you know very well because you've you you know you spend a lot of time talking about him and reading about him and so on Mm -hmm. um and um but for many of my listeners they might not be aware of the the general story so Mm. this is going to be it's going to be tricky to keep keep some discipline here but let's Mm. try to give a basic overview of john lennon's life i'll let you handle this okay i'll be back in about half an hour so uh no i'm (laughs) kidding all right this is the very very potted version so um obviously everyone will know he he came from liverpool 1940 wartime baby um I suppose the way to know John Lennon is to drill down to two or three events that happened to him that that probably kind of shaped his life. And basically, he, again, doing a podcast for two years, if if John Lennon was alcohol, I've almost drunk myself sober. uh, Because you get to a point where 
the more you, there's a song lyric, the more you learn, the less you know, or the less you know for sure, you know? Yeah. Anyway, but the stuff we know anyway. So he came from ostensibly a broken home, had a very strange upbringing where his mother was somewhat wayward, let's say. Um, although I think, I think she had a heart of gold as well. And um, I, I say nearly all of this stuff is contentious, but essentially um, he never really knew his father. His father was a seaman. And his mother, at age five, either gave him away or, according to a recent biography, his aunt Mimi, who some may have heard of, took him or basically bullied Julia, his mother, into giving John to her. So John Lennon was raised by his auntie and his uncle. And then he found out at a certain point that his mother was living nearby. So if you've seen the film Nowhere Boy, which is quite a big recommendation, essentially he was raised by his aunt and his mother was more of a kind of an aunt figure. So it was almost like a, a weird reversal of these two roles. Of the, th- of the four Beatles, he was probably the middle class one. Yeah, that's right. But again, it's a tiny bit of revisionism because he, he, grew, up, he grew up in what, um, you know, two up and two down. That's a, that's a quaint expression for What's your that? listeners there. Two up and two down. So you just got basically... Uh, a living room you got sort of two windows or two rooms or windows on each floor so very very basic sort of square shaped house um very basic so a living room and probably a back room and then a couple of bedrooms mm. so he grew up in in the penny lane area until he was five and then he moved to this place called walton which is basically a village if you ever go there it's it's one of the better areas of liverpool so yeah, he was a bit more middle class so again Again, there's so much of John Lennon. I just want to make this make this clear that a lot of it is very contentious. But the stuff we know, he lived with his aunt. His mother was around, as I said. And then the two really seminal events of his youth were when he was 16, he uh, started a skiffle group called the Quarrymen. And he played at a village fete. And that gives you an idea of what Walton was like, really. It was a, a village fete with a tombola and all that kind of thing. The sort of event where school kids would go and um, entertainment for the family and it would be outdoors. And... Garden party, basically. Yeah. 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 And so he plays with the quarrymen and, and he sticks out like a sore thumb because he was sort of trying to be a teddy boy. But one of the things that I discovered from talking to one of his bandmates is that John Lennon didn't actually get into a lot of fights. He was more, he, he had the gift, uh, the gift of the gab, which means he was very quick-witted. He was very good. He could come up with a line to get himself out of trouble. Yeah, but he yeah. He, he had the, um, he gave the impression of being hard and dangerous and and, mm. and stuff. But in fact, no, he, he never actually got into physical fights. He was probably quite soft, really, in yeah, a sense. May, maybe a couple of fights against pro- probably smaller boys, to be honest, because there was a bullying aspect to him as well. Uh, so, yeah, he meets, uh, goes to this village fete, and in the audience he's a 14-year-old, sorry, 15-year-old Paul McCartney, looking very dapper in a sort of white blazer with a carnation. And uh, so he hears, and what what is the most unbelievable thing about that day, which just still blows my mind, is that when they when they performed in the church hall in the evening after Paul had gone home, someone recorded it. What really? I mean, yeah, I mean, what are the chances? A fellow called Bob Molyneux, who was well known to the quarrymen who I spoke to, um, actually recorded the whole performance. But uh, of course, not knowing what would happen in later years, he wiped most of it. No, he deleted. He deleted it, not realizing. 
he deleted most of it, not realizing. Because yeah, to be honest, when you listen to it, um, to me, it's absolutely. I mean, I, I'd probably listen to it a hundred times because it's just to me, it's just like this amazing, like archaeological thing. This recording, the fact that they met at a village fate and someone recorded it. It's almost like ah, must be preordained, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he meets Paul, and then they actually meet George Harrison very soon after. And by the end of '57, you've got the the nucleus of the Beatles. Obviously, Ringo is very important, but you've got the big, the main three guys already in place by '57. And then the other big event that we have to mention is 1958 in July. His mother Julia is tragically killed um, by an off-duty policeman. And again, there was another myth that he was drunk. He absolutely was not drunk, but he was a learner driver who was off duty. He hit her with his car. He hit her with his car, and it was basically just outside, almost just outside where John Lennon was living. So if you think about it, every time John Lennon subsequently looked out of his bedroom window, he could see the spot where it happened. Now, obviously, he wouldn't have known the spot because he wasn't there, and I'm sure he didn't say to anyone, oh, can you tell me where it happened? It wasn't that, but... Yeah, this terrible event, because he had lots of people... John Lennon had lots of people die on him, as he said. His uncle had died, his uncle who had been like a father. Anyway, um, one of the very important things is that he then found out, after meeting Paul McCartney, that Paul McCartney's mother had died a couple of years earlier of breast cancer. And I don't think you can downplay the effect, this bond that it created between these two guys. And then you've got all the stuff about, um, as we said earlier, they bunked off school... The fact that Paul was left-handed and John was right-handed, so it was almost like looking into a mirror. When they sat opposite each other playing guitars, it's like a mirror image, which is very okay. helpful if you're trying to see what the other guy is playing. And also, yeah, on the stage, it looked really, really cool. Absolutely. There's a weird... Well, not weird, but there was a kind of symmetry about it. Um, yeah, so to cut a very long story short, um, they get this skiffle band going, they transition to rock and roll, they go to Hamburg, and when they when they when they start in Hamburg, they're really a pretty terrible band. But through an unbelievable number of hours in their second trip to Hamburg, I can never remember the exact number. It's somewhere between eighty nine and ninety two consecutive nights of about five hours each. Whoa! Yeah. So essentially, you know, if you've got what it takes, that's a hell of a good you know. Yeah, you're talking about the 10,000 hours, the Malcolm Gladwell thing. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much amazing story. You know, I'm I'm cutting it very short here, but, you know, they make it in... They meet Brian Epstein in 61. When they come back to Liverpool. When they come back to Liverpool, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, In Hamburg, they were a band, a sort of leather band, very rough and ready, leather jackets. He, again, this is contentious. Did he persuade them to go into suits? Did they do it willingly? Who knows? Don't ask me, I only have a podcast about him. (laughs) And um, then obviously they make it. And then from 62 is when they first record. So the first single is Love Me Do. And 69 is when they last record. And the last album comes out in 70. So as you said earlier, essentially in seven years, they completely turn the world of pop music on its head. They revolutionise fashion. They revolutionise the whole way that recording is done. If I could just give you one example, when they went into the recording studio, um, first of all, all the technicians, this is hilarious, wore white coats. Like in a science lab, right? Laboratory. Or or a lunatic asylum. Because if you think (laughs) about about how mad John Lennon sort of turned out to be, 
uh, and I say that with a smile, obviously. It's quite funny that they're in white coats. It's just hilarious. But yeah. when, the, when the Beatles first appeared, essentially you would have recording sessions. I think it was like one to four, four to seven, seven to ten, or with breaks or whatever. By the end of the Beatles recording studio, they're smoking weed in the studio and they're recording all night. And they're just recording whenever they feel like it because, you know, they're, they're sort of creative people, they're eccentric, they're, they're high. You know, you put all that together, they're, they're making the rules because they've, they've basically... Uh, they're the cash cow for, for the entire uh, record company at that stage. So they've been just it. given free reign of the studio. It's like, okay, boys, uh, you know, just uh, you can use the studio as much as you like, just to keep pumping out the records. That's it. And it's just amazing, yeah. That, that's just cutting it short, cutting a long story very short. Um, and John Lennon, uh, then he had another, unfortunately only had another 10 years of life after that. And, um, I guess everybody knows what, what happened in the end, but I would like to state as well, you know, the trajectory of their lives once they did sort of become known that they went from being obviously just unknown four guys, just not knowing what was going to happen in the future to like rocketing to a level that had never been seen before. I mean, Elvis was was popular, but not to the same extent as the Beatles. They they were, yeah, something totally without precedent in the sense that the crowds, the the madness that followed them around, yeah, just the crowds and the screaming and the the levels of fame where almost every single person on the planet knew them, and um, they got to the point where every they must have been surrounded by sycophants who were desperate Mm. to get to them, desperate to kind of have contact with them and desperate to use them for for something. Like all the politicians started to want to be interviewed with them and everyone's naming them for this, that and the other. Uh, All of the most respected music critics were talking about them either positively or negatively. And it just seemed the Beatles suddenly just became this global currency. And for the four individuals in the middle of that storm, it must have been, uh, uh, um, on one hand, amaz- an amazing ride, but also it's very traumatic, and it must have been psychologically a, a massive thing to deal with. I think John oh, yeah. was probably quite traumatized in some cases, like the episode in 1966 where he said some things about the church and about Jesus, and those things were taken out of context. And then in America, in the sort of Bible belt of America, where they're quite sort of, you know, fundamentalist about these these things, mm. uh, they faced a lot of stuff, a lot of death threats. Uh, the mm. Ku Klux Klan were suggesting that they were going to do something. Um, and they thought they were all, they all thought they were going to be killed. And yeah. I think that John, I mean, you would know more about this, but I, I think that John had moments of fear about his own life. They all did. Mm. They were all scared for their lives. This is this is how big this thing got. They thought this thing's going to kill us. It's going to crush us somehow. Mm. And sort of arguably, it did get two of them in the end, John and, and George. So yes, unhitherto seen levels of fame, which just were utterly life changing. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a comparison. Um, you will of course remember take that yeah right. let's, let's, let's just let's just do a little comparison i'm not sure this comparison totally works but i'm gonna run with it anyway <laughs> um so when when the beatles first emerged in 63 i think people loved their music but i think they loved the energy of it and they didn't think there was any sophistication now um 
I'm sure you've played Beatles songs on your guitar before, as I have mm, many mm, times. Mm. What you actually realise is that the early songs were actually quite sophisticated uh, musically, not lyrically. We'll get to that later, I think. But musically, there was a lot more going on than it seems. And I, and I, I actually feel that listeners probably pick up on that without realising it. So they think they're just dancing to just a simple song, but there may be a chord change, you know, just something silly like that, that they actually react to and they don't quite realise it. But try and imagine, so let's take, let's use Take That as an example. So they emerged in the 90s. Take That, they were a boy band from the 90s and they were probably the biggest boy band in the 90s. Screaming fans, teenage girls went crazy about them. Robbie Williams uh, was, was a Gary member of- Barlow. Gary Barlow, Robbie Williams and Gary Barlow were members of Take That, yes. Yeah, so essentially it was kind of almost exactly 30 years later as well. I remember at the time it was it was very much compared. Try and imagine if, okay, Gary Barlow's a decent songwriter, I think. You know, I don't know much of his stuff. Robbie Williams is a good performer. Imagine if, I don't know, Robbie Williams, Gary Barlow and who are the other ones? Jason, somebody, I can't remember. Jason Orange and Mark, yeah. someone, I can't remember. I can't remember, yeah. It's always the other two, yeah. Yeah. The other yeah. three or whatever. Imagine if all three of those emerged as amazing, creative, groundbreaking songwriters. And imagine if four years after that, they're being hailed as these sort of LSD mystics. Gurus of sorts. Gurus, yeah. Because that's the amazing thing. The Beatles had this incredible fame as a boy band, as you said, quite manufactured, but with real talent. And then they had this all, this totally different type of fame where they're they're seen as like mystics, which is all a bit, it was all a bit silly in the summer of love. It's it's I still mm. believe in it, but then you know if you study the Vietnam War, you realise that at the same time that there's all you know all you need is love. There's horrendous things happening in, in Vietnam, you know. Except that uh, you know you could argue that the whole peace and love movement was a, a direct reaction to the violence that was going on in somewhere like Vietnam. Yeah, maybe it's very naive to go around putting flowers in in the ends of rifles of police mm. and soldiers but i think that they that i think a lot of people were aware of it and they were they thought rather than hate being the driving force or control being the driving force they were just interested in love and beauty and things like that yeah that's a good point yeah i think you're right but i'm not sure where the point came when the hippies became sort of anti-war activists and those two things got joined because it's actually surprising how little reaction there was to vietnam until a certain point like 67 68 even so i think you're right at some point that happened but um anyway yeah i mean it's just 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 amazing this sort of two types of fame they had yeah you know yeah 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 absolutely Mm. and then off you know um just continuing just in the 70s you know the beatles split up john lennon pursued his solo career he was with yoko ono and um you know this japanese conceptual artist and stuff and there's there are mixed opinions about her and and things like that and and then yes he he moved to new york with yoko the official narrative is that he kind of sort of uh stopped playing music in the mid 70s and focused on family life and became a sort of a house husband and there you know the official narrative is that he was in domestic bliss making bread every day and then he came back to music uh, in 1980 with his with with the album he made with yoko uh, double fantasy and then Mm. he was murdered by um, a man in the street who 
I mean, how do you describe him? I yeah, again, I've, I've done a couple of shows on him. I mean, a lot of Beatles fans don't even want to mention his name, which yeah. I, you know, I'm fine with that. You know, I understand yeah. that, but it's actually a very interesting case. Uh, we not, we don't know whether he was a big fan or not. We think, I think he was just a very, very confused person who identified with John Lennon as a lot of young men, as I did as well, but I just didn't take that path of identifying with him and yeah. just decided that John Lennon had sold out, which again is arguably true. And then, um, but I think he's just very disturbed, very confused, much like the guy who, who attacked George, as you said earlier. Yeah, yeah, I mean, again, when you reach that level of of fame and there's like, you know, George Harrison, I think once said, you know, what was it? Um, the world used us as an excuse to go crazy and then they blamed mm. it on us. Yeah, yeah, great quote, yeah. And, um, and, you know, when you reach that level where you are, not just a person anymore in people's eyes that you you become on some other level then yeah you can mm. become a focal point for disturbed people disturbed individuals and george and, and john did you, you mentioned mm. take that another another comparison could be princess diana um right. in, the, in the sense that she achieved this you know super duper level of global recognition and it kind of crushed and destroyed her mm you know arguably i thought you were gonna tell me a load of hits that she'd written (laughs) so (laughs) imagine if she'd started a pop career what would that have been like yeah sometime on youtube there'll be like lots of her compositions but uh no i know know what you mean i think it's perhaps more the death i think the death of john lennon and the death of prince diana are perhaps quite comparable because you've got this out this outpouring of grief that perhaps wasn't quite expected i don't know and when a public figure like that dies the public perception of them changes quite quickly and they become i don't know what the word for it is is it they become a martyr not sure that's the right word but Mm. they suddenly become a myth you know that the mythology is is set in stone very quickly and um they cease to be you know just a normal person with their normal foibles and weaknesses and you know and so uh, he became immortalized in a weird way by dying he suddenly became immortalized and became an icon and we didn't get to see him kind of grow old and do do you know you know Paul Paul McCartney didn't die he continued and made songs that people have criticised him for and and mm. became a family man in I think in a more genuine sense than John did and um, he got criticised for for some of those songs anyway anyway mm. so there we go that we we managed to do it I think the, a general overview yeah. <laughs> now the next thing well haha I did actually prepare some general questions for you what what do you think i feel like we've kind of um we've had a pretty good shot at discussing john lennon i could do Beatles. quick fire i could do quick fire if you want. i'll try and give short answers. okay quick fire let's try and do quick fire although my questions are not really designed for it but we'll give it a shot come on medium fire yeah medium fire sort of medium paced fire so okay start starting with quite a an obvious question maybe um that is do you have a favorite john lennon song go Oh, my God. Yes, it's changed a lot over the years, but I'm going to say a song called God from the Plastic Ono Band album, which is not one of his most well-known, but it's really got a lot of staying power. I've just kind of found myself uh, loving that song. Plastic Ono Band is my favourite John Lennon album, by a fair distance, in fact. So Yeah, God is the one where he he kind of goes on and on about the things he doesn't believe in, right? Mm. I don't Mm. believe in... Jesus, I don't believe in. I mean, I love the way he says, "I don't believe in yoga." <laughs> um, yeah, don't. it's not, it's not so much for the yeah. The lyrics are a bit sweeping. I agree. It's probably more more for the music. And there's another song actually called "Love" from the same album, and 
if you listen to his vocal on that it's just unbelievable it's really mm. amazing I do love so, God, though. The, I mean, I don't mean to kind of, um, you know, make fun of the song or anything. I do love it. And, no, and no, you're I get right, it. The, the music. Isn't there Billy Preston playing b- piano on that? <sighs> yeah, there's two pianos, and Billy's playing, obviously, the, the, the more difficult, the gospel-y stuff, and John's playing a sort of rhythm piano, yeah. Wonderfully oh, sparse, lovely. and it's it's Ringo as well on drums, I think. Ringo, Wonderfully yeah. sparse, and, and, yeah, Billy Preston's gospel-style piano. Oh, Absolutely wonderful. But what, just one thing I love about that is that he goes through, I don't believe, no, no, I don't believe in Beatles. And then when his voice comes back, he sings, I just believe in me. And he suddenly sounds like a child. Mm. And that's, that's this ability he had. I don't know how much of it is the effects put on his voice. A lot of it must come from him. He has this ability to sound like an angry adult, followed by like a, a sort of broken child. Yeah. And I think that album, Plasticano Band, because we did a show on it, so obviously I listened very attentively to it. And yeah. He just had this amazing ability to, to just transmit. Yeah, emotions. really interesting that he, he was uh, lots of different things. But yeah, he could be like very forceful and strong and uh, with a lot of conviction. Mm. which is something that's really enjoyable to listen to. Like one of my favourite songs of his is And Your Bird Can Sing. Oh, yeah. And just the level of conviction. It's just, it's like, um, it's just exciting to listen to you. Really, it really sweeps you up. And it's, you can kind of ride along with it. But yeah, you're right. He also had this incredible vulnerability that he could um, express as well. well. I was thinking, yeah, sorry, I was answering actually John Lennon solo, just very briefly, Beatles. I can't get much past Strawberry Fields' um, Day in the Life and I'm the Walrus, which is I call the 1967 Holy Trinity. You know, those those three amazing songs. Uh, uh, there's a, a million others, of course, but yeah, I'd say those, yeah. Next question. So John Lennon had lots of different looks, okay? So he looked very different in different phases of his life with different haircuts, different facial hair, Mm. and just general... It's like if you had a different passport for each one of those looks, it could be like a different person. You wouldn't recognise them, yeah. You wouldn't get through, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he he could have had lots of different... It's like all these different identities as if he was a spy with all these different passports. Yeah, Um, yeah. So which is your favorite of john lennon's phases or looks i think definitely i love the 1968 uh kind of 68 69 68 is without the beard 69 is with the enormous beard and the white suit and it's essentially the jesus look (laughs) and in fact weirdly enough another weird coincidence someone found an older um, like a what do you call it like a coloring book or a book from his infant school and he drew a picture of jesus that basically looked exactly like he looked but, oh, wow. uh, but i think 68 sort of center parting round glasses i don't know if he pioneered this look but it's this sort of arty intellectual slightly stoned slightly detached look and i think that's my favorite and uh, a lot of it actually came from the fact that he was in quite a lot of trouble in 1968 drug wise but he just developed that that's my favorite but i know what you mean like there's, there's almost a look for every single year isn't there yeah yeah that'd be my favorite yeah that's the iconic one when you get a picture of john lennon in an english language in an e a tefl course book like headway upper intermediate which is always the mm. one i i mentioned or english <laughs> file or something it's always yeah. that picture of him with the center parting the round glasses maybe yeah. the denim jacket um, yeah, yeah. sort of detached, slightly glazed look in his eyes, always. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see. 
Hmm. This is going to be difficult to to answer this one in a broad in a, in a quick way. But um, is so we're going to we're going to describe John Lennon in a moment, and we're going to look at okay. lots of different descriptive adjectives. But um, overall, would you say that John's story or John's life is broadly positive? or negative, and that could be from his point of view or from our point of view. If you appraise the entire life of John Lennon, as you have done, would you say that it's overall positive or negative? I hate to sit on the fence, but I think the appeal of him is, in fact, that it's almost everything. You know, there's there's a weird thing where if you study his life, both the things we know about and the sort of different narratives and theories you can find almost every facet of life there, you know. So it's very difficult to say. I would say if you take it that the most important thing about John Lennon is his music, you know, because the music is there, you know, you don't have to argue. You can argue about what's good and what's bad, but the music is there. I would say John Lennon, both with the Beatles and solo, is is, is positive. Like I think Beatles music is unbelievably uplifting, and obviously, a bit more Paul's sweeter, you know, more expansive melodies. John wasn't really a great melody writer necessarily. Well, probably probably pretty good compared to most people. But um, so music-wise, I'd say very positive, very uplifting. Uh, life-wise, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's everything. <laughs> yeah, light and dark, you know. Yeah, for him. From his point of view, it could be arguable because, you know, the difficulties he had in his childhood. And I think he had, a, as you say, a, a big mix of ups and downs. He had moments mm-hmm. of great joy and incredible inspiration and experiences that other people can't touch, really. Yeah. Um, visions and things that people will never see. Uh, but also, I think he experienced a lot of great pain and probably paranoia and darkness, too. But I would agree with you overall from our side it's it's quite positive i think his influence on the world has been broadly a positive one and that he he's been a, a force for good in the world in general i would i would say he's almost like um i don't i'm sure he didn't plan this but artists are often like they live out they live out the life that perhaps you would like to live if you had the opportunity to be an actor or a musician or to do a job that's not a quote unquote normal job and i don't mean that as any you know, I think teaching is a great job, for example. But you know, um, mm. I think artists live out this this other people's fantasies. Perhaps you said earlier, you know, and as George Harrison said, you know, you, the artist is there to kind of be shot at, and they live out your fantasies. And when it goes wrong, you know, you can blame it on them, kind of thing. Yeah, you, so. you can both hold them up and smash them down weirdly. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Not that I like the idea of smashing people down. Um, at all but they do get smashed down i suppose in in life it's the position of the artist well you you put them on a pedestal and then you realize that that any all humans are fragile you know they're not they're not mythical gods from you know ancient egypt they're just human beings and they're always going to be fragile and so you know they're always going to fall apart if you try and put them on a pedestal and then i think it's a bit unfair of the public to then sort of turn on them you know yes because if you, just to give one more example, you know, Amy Winehouse, you know, everyone will say now, oh, you know, poor Amy, I wish we'd helped her. But, you know, the tabloid media just, same, it's like Princess Diana, but with Amy Winehouse, you had the additional thing of alcoholism and drugs. So they had, not only was that something she was suffering from, but it's something the media could pillory her for. And if you saw the, the, the documentary Amy, the Netflix, amazing film, 
they do a compilation of all like people on comedy panel shows making fun of her and it makes me so angry when I look back at it it's very sad you know, it's, it's very sad and but it will still happen you know i mean we we just don't so i don't want to i don't want to get angry here but we don't, we don't really learn you know the same patterns just continually repeat and it's quite annoying but uh anyway. yeah <laughs> yeah i guess when people get to a certain level of fame they they for some reason in people's eyes become dehumanized and yeah. so people feel that it's okay to say things about them and make fun of them uh and so on but they're still human beings ultimately okay absolutely next yeah. next question now this is another huge one in fact you <laughs> could you could do a whole massive series of podcasts on this question as some people have done what do you think happened sure. between paul and john then paul mccartney and john lennon what happened between them do you think that um as some accounts go or some people seem to think do you think that john hated paul in some way no i don't think so i think um i think with john lennon what you have to remember is that uh you know you've heard about the primal therapy i suppose yeah he did this did this very very heavy therapy which i read the book the primal scream which is actually where the the scottish band got their got their name from mm. i think john lennon as you said was very traumatized and he went through a very a big lsd period and a heroin period then he had primal therapy so he was a very very fragile and kind of a wounded animal and i think he turned it on paul mccartney so i don't no i don't think he ever hated him i think essentially they were like brothers who weren't biologically brothers but they had all the other hallmarks of brothers so i think to understand them you have to really think of it as a brother thing you know because they even lost their mothers so you can imagine it as two brothers who lost their mother yes even though obviously they had different mothers in reality so i, I don't think he hated him but i think um i think he was a little bit jealous john lennon was perhaps a little bit less mature was quite an immature childlike or childish person and i think he just turned he was looking for someone to turn on he was looking for someone to turn on as well to turn on yeah. <laughs> to turn on and to turn on yeah yeah uh, um, he was yeah. he was looking for someone to turn on and also to turn on yeah um yeah, that's it people say that john sort of broke up the beatles or john left or paul left you know we can't decide it's it's a total mess but mm. maybe john was trying to regain some level of control over the group and that he never that they never really wanted to break up all of them and that mm. john's attempt to regain some level of control in the situation backfired on him and that you know he yeah. kind of laid down the law and sort of brought in alan klein or allowed alan klein to come in who was who's a this sort of brutal manager mm. and paul i think i think maybe john i don't know i'm speculating now but maybe john was kind of like look you know i'm leaving the group which is what he did say uh that what that didn't become public information though and i mm. think paul was supposed to go oh shit john's gonna leave the group all right so we better you know better do it john's way but paul mm. kind of went the other way and was like well you know screw that I'm not working mm. with Klein. And yeah. there was that whole negotiation about Klein's management where John, George and Ringo were saying to him, we've got to give him 20%. Mm. And Paul's going, we're a big act. He'll, he'll take 10. Anyway, there was just like yeah. this whole business negotiation. All right. So we're getting, mm. we're getting distracted or I am. Uh, very, very, very quickly. I think also with the Yoko thing. Um, yeah, did did Yoko split up the Beatles? This is one of my questions. It wasn't that she split up the Beatles. It was that um, John Lennon, as we said, was a pretty traumatised person, also a very, very creative person, artistic person. 
And when he met Yoko Ono, essentially, um, there's a guy called Victor Spinetti who was in uh, some of the Beatles films. Really nice. Seemed like a very nice guy and liked John Lennon a lot. Actor. An actor, yeah. He said when John Lennon met uh, um, Yoko Ono, it's just like she took him back to being a kid. It's like if someone said, here's some crayons and here's a piece of paper. You can draw anything you want. Anything you do is valid. So I'm a bit sceptical about their relationship towards the end of his life, which I, I've almost done a whole series on, on Glass Onion. But I think at the beginning, he was so swept up. And he was one of those people. I actually had a therapist on the show as well who sort of confirmed this. So he's one of those people that I think traumatized people, when they see the person that they, they think is it, they're going to throw all their eggs in one basket. Another good expression. <laughs> <laughs> Put all your eggs in one basket. Put all your eggs in one basket. So he's like, Yoko is it. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. You know, and uh, I'm sure, as I said, they did drugs together and drugs do have a way. You know, do drugs with someone, it's going to bond you even more, whatever you think about drugs. Um, so I think that factor, I think in the end, it was, also, it was Yoko or the Beatles. And so he started bringing her to the sessions. Famously, they had a car crash and she was injured and they brought a queen size bed into the studio and she was lying in bed and he even set up a mic so she could comment on their music. <laughs> if, if anything could be more surreal than that. That's a famous, famous, it's a famous quote, isn't it? Like, uh, Yoko wants a microphone. Yoko wants a mic. Yeah. Oh, just uh, unbelievable. Yoko wants a mic. And apparently like the other guys in the studio were like, what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, everyone's like shitting themselves. Cause yeah. like, oh, shit. She's going to have a microphone now yeah yeah so uh, i think yeah again i'm just just uh speculating as well i think yeah i think when he met yoko he, he kind of put his eggs in one basket and it was yoko or the beatles so if they had any objection to her turning up at their sessions and commenting on their music he was like you know screw you i'm choosing her mm-hmm. um and uh, it's hard to know really what paul thought about that i think paul wanted to keep them together but then I think maybe a misconception is that he was desperate to get John back through the 70s. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think Paul accepted that the ban was over and he, of course, ended up suing them in court. He had to take them to court, his three yeah. best mates, as he says it, to, to get himself out of the partnership with, with, I don't know if it's with Klein or Klein was obviously involved. So yeah, yeah. very, very, um, very messy business and very contentious. They could well have have worked again together in some way. I mean, they, they could have collaborated. They had to separate in order to establish themselves in their own right. Mm. But um, I think they could easily have worked together again. But it was there were various little obstacles that got in the way, and a business business was one of those things, like the business issues, the publishing disputes, and and uh, they had to sort out the mess that was created when Brian Epstein died, who was their manager, the one who had the kind of um, business vision for them, an absolutely pivotal character in the story, Brian. He died in 67, and that was obviously a huge turning point. And the music side was fine. They were doing really well all the way through. But from the business side, it was a total disaster. It's like the whole thing collapsed. And Apple, the whole Apple thing was just such a mess yeah oh it's terrible it's just uh yeah yeah so apple as a business venture was a total disaster and it caused them lots of legal trouble as as it all had to be sorted out later yeah a good book called apple to the core that's which was written soon after all this all this happened so it's um yeah i haven't read it for years but i remember enjoying it also the longest cocktail party 
fantastic book written by a guy who was called the house hippie he was a young fella who was one of Derek taylor's assistants amazing stuff but yeah <laughs> an absolute okay. mess yeah yeah okay i'm going to do one more of these questions okay. um and then, then we'll be ready to move on to part two we're ready to start the show <laughs> that's right yes listeners this is still just part one <laughs> so here we have a third conditional you can probably guess what it is nice but it's if john hadn't died what would have happened oh that's what i ask on my show to my guests so uh i haven't i've never had that turn back on me but uh <laughs> yeah i actually um someone who's a journalist actually asked me to write something so i actually wrote something about this i've mulled it over a lot but um i think if he if he had lived past 1980 i think he would have been very involved with grunge I can definitely see him collaborating with Kurt Cobain. I'm fairly sure that that could happen. But John Lennon may have just become a recluse. You know, we might not have seen him much. But I think he would have been well into hip-hop. I don't think he would have performed it. I hope he wouldn't. Anyway, that would have been embarrassing. But he would have loved the activism side of rap and hip-hop. The, the fact that you didn't, you, know, you didn't really have to write lyrics. You could just speak directly. And John Lennon was all about speaking directly. So I think grunge, uh, hip-hop... I could see him sort of popping in and out of the public eye. I think he definitely would have been on Twitter a lot. And one thing that we've all agreed, he would have spent a lot of time writing angry tweets and then having to apologise for them. Pretty sure about that. Uh, so he, he would have loved the internet because he, a bit, a bit like Donald Trump, he could have been lying in bed at like and just firing off sort of missives to the world. Like you can imagine, you can imagine John Lennon uh, in a slight sort of weed haze, uh, typing into his phone if he had a phone, uh, something along the lines of "I am he, as you are he, as you are me, and we are all together," which is a line from "I am the Walrus." You can imagine him firing off something like that because it's instant. He doesn't doesn't take any effort. He can do it in his bed. He can kind of. Oh, tweet and he can reach the whole world and i think that's very john lennon so he would have loved the internet would he have survived i don't know you know i mean he was a heavy smoker as was george harrison so it's possible that you know i don't want to be morbid but cancer may have taken him at some point but uh i think he would have popped in and out of the public eye i don't think he would have been like a jobbing musician I d he wouldn't be touring like paul but i think he probably would have done the occasional maybe a world tour so yeah, it's, mm. it's great mm. for speculation, though, isn't it? I mean, what do you think? Let me turn. Let me turn it back on the host. <laughs> well, I can't speculate really with any level of accuracy. Of course, I don't know. I mean, you've I think profiled him probably a lot more in a more detailed way than me. Right. So I don't have a accurate speculation. Instead, I have a sort of a, a dream of sorts where I imagine John having moved back to England. Mm. And a bit like David Bowie in the noughties, right, from sort of 2000 and beyond, when David Bowie sort of started appearing on a lot of those chat shows with Jonathan Ross, mm. and you got the impression he was hanging out with a lot of comedians in the UK, mm. he was hanging out with Ricky Gervais and stuff like that, and he was on radio, I, I, was he on Radio 2? He might, he might have been, appeared on Jonathan Ross's BBC Radio 2 um, mm -hmm. show or something like that but a sort of a personality that would sort of turn up sometimes. So I had this kind of lovely idea that John Lennon might have, and this is very sort of, um, what's the word for it? Middle of the road, mm. actually. Mm. But this idea that he could have got his own show on Radio 2. Yeah. And it would have been him kind of 
it wouldn't have worked because he's too edgy for that. But um, because one of the one of the things I love about Lennon is his humour, mm. and he he did appear on the radio a few times. There was one notable occasion in the seventies when he was on radio to promote one of his albums, and he yeah. was taking all these calls from yeah. callers. And it's just so much fun. He's and so he's charismatic, being, isn't he? He's yeah. so charismatic. So I'd love. I would love to. I would have loved him to have a radio show or a podcast to just sort of ramble and just so we could listen to john lennon talking that was one of my favorite things about him yeah, is just it's... listening to him talk he's so charismatic and articulate and funny and witty and that's one of the my favorite things about lennon so yeah. i would have i would love him to have had his own radio show or podcast that we could have listened to that would have been fun yeah one other thing is that he did have very good relationships with elton john and david bowie because he worked with both of them so i feel like I feel like he was probably always a bit too insecure to go out on his own. Obviously he had Yoko with him when he was performing in the seventies, but I feel like perhaps, you know, he might have turned up at David Bowie's concerts or he already performed with Elton John at Madison Square Garden. But I feel like, I feel like he's always a bit too, a bit afraid of stepping out on his own. So I think, um, and with Paul McCartney, in fact, we know the fact in this wonderful period of Beatles books and podcasts where history is being revised all the time, we actually know almost as fact that John Lennon was about to collaborate with Paul in 1975 and 1981. And some podcasters are more sure than others, but there's a lot of people who are very, very good Beatles scholars, and I take their word for it. And it seems like Yoko was the sticking point, that that perhaps she did want to keep John away from his, his old life. You know, his English mates, so to speak, which is not like totally unknown. You know, I mean, you wouldn't be the first guy to have a wife or a girlfriend who wanted to separate him from his old mates. You know, I've kind of had that myself. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that does happen. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, you're not it's not making a statement about women, but when people mm. get into couples, they do kind of, you know, they, they want their, their partner to be at home with them in their life. They don't necessarily so, want, especially if the person is quite insecure and mm. You know, we're, we're not really talking about Yoko, but I expect she had her insecurities as sure, well, sure. even though she was also sort of quite a formidable person. Mm. But I'm sure she was quite fragile and insecure, too. And she, so she wanted John to be there in her home and in her life. And she didn't necessarily want him to run off and be partying with his mates and mm. stuff. She might have been scared that he would leave her or, or something like that. Yeah. So, so it's not, you know, yeah, but she gets, she gets, she gets demonized a lot, Yoko, uh, which is, which is sad, but, um, yeah, it's fairly reasonable, I guess. But yeah, so yeah, they, 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 hmm, that would have been cool though, them getting together. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't imagine that they would have done a lot together, but they might have got together for Live Aid. That was an option in 85. And then obviously the anthology. And there's a kind of backstory to the anthology that George Harrison had been majorly ripped off by his business manager. So one of the actual reasons that he got involved was was for money. I mean, I hate to be cynical, but that is kind of the truth. Because mm. um, if you watch the anthology, George is kind of, he realises that Paul's going to take the limelight and he kind of steps to the side and is a bit detached. And I can imagine, do, do you remember when uh, this Paul, George and Ringo sitting in George's garden strumming ukuleles? Oh, yeah. Uh, on the show, we speculated about what would it be if John had been there as well. And I kind of feel like John and George would have been either side of Paul sort of gently taking the piss out of him, as we would say, gently yeah. mocking him, 
because Paul's going to take the limelight almost, you know, it's almost like a reflex action, you know, with Paul McCartney. He just does it, doesn't he? Because he's just so good at it. <laughs> so it's so interesting to speculate. In a way, it's almost how these podcasts, all these Beatles podcasts have kept going because no one knows the truth. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that we're never going to know. Like, for example, when they went to India to do the meditation, they're in this wonderfully kind of spiritual, peaceful place. They're probably off hard drugs at least for a couple of months. But then they go to the White Album and, and all hell breaks loose. And it's, uh, yeah, again, so something happened. There's loads of things that happen behind the scenes that we're probably never going to know because none of their children are going to tell us, are they? You know, no. Sean Lennon's not going to tell us the truth. Uh, you know, what's her name? Stella McCartney's not going to tell us the truth. Yeah, the children have taken the mantle of essentially keeping the official version going. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, or, or at least yeah, protecting the interests of the of the legacy and the memory of their parents who they love so much, and 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 so on. And maybe even they don't know either. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't mean to have a go at anybody. You know, it's very very difficult to be in the public eye, as we said earlier. And yeah, it's not having a go at people. It's just um, a kind of thirst for the truth. You know, which that's what we have as Beatles fans, and that's what I have with my other podcast about the world. You know, what is the truth? You know, are yeah. there conspiracies or are there no conspiracies? Is everything a conspiracy? Who the hell knows, you know? <laughs> yes, it's so, a nebulous thing. Yeah. There's a nice word. Yeah, good word, yeah. But it's a, it's wonderfully fertile for someone who's curious and, you know. Absolutely. Anyway. <laughs> Anthony, now we're going to have a shot at uh, part two of this. We have three parts planned. I don't know if we're going to get to the third part. That might have to be another one for another time. No, we can uh, always record another day because I'm absolutely loving this. This is great. So I, okay. could do th- I could do this all day. So don't worry. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> So that was episode two in this five-part Beatles mini-series. Thank you again to Anthony for his contribution uh, to this episode and the forthcoming ones. Uh, this was all about John Lennon. Um, and uh, the other John Lennon episodes will follow over the next few weeks. So do you feel that you, you now know more about John Lennon than you did before you listened to this? I hope so. I hope you picked up a few sort of new factoids in there. I wonder what new things you learned from this. And feel free to leave your comments below. Um, Okay, I'm very curious to know if you learned some things about John Lennon from listening to this. I won't say much more here, except that it's been really interesting to talk to Anthony. And I look forward to publishing the next few episodes in which we go into teacher mode and look at some descriptive adjectives and then song lyrics. But that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening all the way through to the end here. Actually, wait a minute. I forgot to add something. I was just wrapping up the episode there. I was just about to finish, but I forgot something. And that something is this music. How could I forget music? I don't know. But um, anyway, I got here in the last at the last minute, the last second. Uh, Music. Yes. So you might remember that a few episodes ago, I don't remember which episode it is now, uh, but I recorded myself singing. I'm only sleeping by the Beatles. Um, it's one of those songs I did at the end of an episode recently. I don't actually record uh, or remember which episodes have songs at the end. And so sometimes people say to me, why don't you do a, uh, they say, why don't you do like an album on Bandcamp or something of all the songs that you've done? And I just think, yeah, that's a good idea, but I don't know where they all are. Anyway, uh, I did I'm Only Sleeping, which is that song written by John Lennon. And um 
And then Rob from English with Rob. I don't know if you know about English with Rob, but uh, Rob was someone I used to work with in uh, Paris in school. We used to work together. Anyway, he does lots of online stuff and he's doing a podcast. He's going to be a guest on this podcast uh, soon, coming up at some point. Uh, But Rob sent me a version of um, I'm Only Sleeping. It's the one that I recorded for this podcast. Um, But um, he recorded drums over the top because Rob is lucky enough to have a drum set a drum kit uh, in his basement in his home which is amazing and so he recorded himself playing drums over the top of my version of i'm only sleeping and he sent it to me so i thought i would play it to you at the end of this episode okay so this is a sort of musical collaboration podcast crossover between uh, me and rob from english with rob and i hope you enjoy it and at the end of this i will say goodbye in the usual way and then uh, you can just go about your day okay all right here we go When I wake up early in the morning Lift my head I'm still yawning When I'm in the middle of a dream Stay in bed Floats upstream Floats upstream Please don't wake me No, don't shake me Leave me where I am I'm only sleeping Everybody seems to think I'm lazy I don't mind I think they're crazy Running everywhere at such a speed Until they find There's no need There's no need Please don't spoil my day I'm miles away And after all I'm only sleeping Keeping an eye on the world going by my window And taking my time Lying there and staring at the ceiling Waiting for a sleepy feeling Please don't spoil my day I'm miles away And after all I'm only sleeping Keeping an eye on the world Going by my window And taking my time When I wake up early in the morning Lift my head I'm still yawning When I'm in the middle of a dream Stay in bed Float upstream Float upstream Please don't wake me No, don't shake me Leave me where I am I'm only sleeping That's it folks, thank you for listening Be excellent to each other And carry on All right, keep calm and carry on. Have a lovely day, and I'll speak to you in the next episode, which will be coming soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.
Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.